And so today the passage we're going to be hearing from can be found in the book of Romans. So Romans chapter 12. If you have a Bible with you, Bible with you, and you would like to read along, there should be one in a hard, there should be a hardback copy somewhere in a, a seat somewhere around you, one of those seat trays somewhere around you. And if you don't own a Bible, I would encourage you to take that one home with you and consider. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12. There it is. Romans chapter 12. Once you arrive there, if you're able to, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Romans 12, just two verse one reads, that should be hear the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and extra worship God, which is be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, Lord. You may be specific. Okay, so I had the honor of both hosting the gathering and teaching this morning, so we're going to get right into it. Um, as I said earlier, we are in a series called Love God, Love People. We're looking at the heart of disciples. We're exploring how lovers of God and others by the gospel through the Holy Spirit. And as I say nearly every week, whether you're a Christian, not sure you're a Christian, or sure you're not a Christian, we always desire for you to taste and see the goodness of Jesus as we teach from the Father, we come before your throne of grace and we humble ourselves before you. God, we ask, we plead, we petition, we beg, Lord, that your spirit would illuminate your word and make it clear and convicting. God, and would pelish to us through your word. God, we would be formed through your word. And Lord, by listening to your word and seeking to apply it to our lives by the power of the spirit, God, we would be Christ Jesus. But God, do what only you can do this morning, which is to speak to us through your word and to make Jesus glorified and beautiful among us, and God, to edify your church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Last week, we started talking about the importance of worship in discipleship. As we've been talking about discipleship or spiritual formation, we've been talking about how God shapes us into lovers of Jesus by being obedient, laid out for us in the Scripture, and that by being obedient to God's word to love him more, we actually become more like him. That the, the principle at play here is that we become like that which we actually become, like which we set our heart. Biblical principle, um, it's a refrain that you find all throughout the scriptures, that if you love God, you become more like God. If you love the world, you become more like not the world, right? That's why we lovers and it's got to be. So last week, though, we began serving the role of worship in our spiritual formation in particular. And last week we talked about how God directs and shapes our hearts through the practices we engage in. We talked primarily during what we do in here on Sundays and how what we do on Sundays is meant to shape and direct our hearts towards God. This week, we're going to zoom out a little and we're going to talk more about how embracing a biblical understanding of worship should shape biblical understanding of worship and how that should actually shape our everyday lives, not just what we do on Sunday, but what do we do in between Sundays. And so we've got three points. The first one is this. Uh, what does, how do we worship God in our everyday lives? Like, how do we actually go about that? And the third is, where do we turn when we fail? Because if we're honest, we struggle to, we will and constantly do struggle. What does everyday worship look like? And that takes us into our text in Romans 12. A little bit of context here. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. There's a, a group of Christians in Rome. And 
made up. Church of Rome is made up like most churches in that time are made up of both. We have to recognize before we, we really start unpacking this particular portion of scripture that we have before us is that the worship practices of both people groups were still deeply entrenched in their minds. Everything, how many of you know that whenever you, before you were a Christian, didn't just immediately go away, right? All the things that you used to do, all the things that you used to believe, all the things that you used to struggle with are still very much a part of you. And by God's grace, you that were worldly get purged out in the things that are godly and redeemable. Of course, God continues to fan those into flame and to use those for his glory. But for the most part, everything that you did for Christ still is a part says that we need to be transformed, that we need to have our minds renewed. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So the, the worship practices of both people groups, Jew and Gentile, and they were, they were similar in some ways and they were slightly different in others' minds. And so both through their heritage and their current culture, both groups of people would have been very familiar, though, with the priority of worship. And in both groups of people, you had some common elements. So the main difference, and, I, and I'm going to try and simplify this as much as possible, the main difference in between both Jew and Gentile is that Jews were what we would call monotheists. They believe in one God. They were polytheists. They believed in a lot of different gods. They, they had many different gods that they worshipped. That's why you can go to Rome or you can go to Greece today, and you can see that there are temples and built up and offered up all to specific and different gods, right? Gods with different purposes. But even though Jew and Gentile served different gods or had a different understanding of God, both of them still had similar practices in which they worship. Both still had priests that were uh, servants of worship, and then both also had sacrifices that they were required to offer up to gods. Gentile had that, Greeks as well, Romans had that. Although their worship practices would have been different at a ground level, at a meta level, they were very similar. They were very similar. Now, ground level, they are radically different at a ground level with entirely different motivational structures and all of those things. But like I said, I don't want to I don't want to go too deep into that because I got, I got to move us along. So what Paul does though is he calls a concept that would have been very familiar with both of them, and that is the concept of the sacrifice. The concept of the sacrifice. Now, like I said, both had temples, they had priests, and they had well, sacrifices. But in for them, a very peculiar but prominent understanding for them, which is that they should not just offer up sacrifices, but as Christians, those who are now in Christ, those who now follow Jesus, that they should present, that they should actually present their lives, their bodies as sacrifices. Now, this would have been a radically different paradigm for them to consider because in this time they were used to taking temple offering them up to, to the God that they were worshiping and then having the priest that was there administer that sacrifice for them on their behalf, right? So that's what they were used to. They, this sacrifice, not just having sacrifices or not just offering sacrifices, but being a sacrifice would have been something that would have been radically new to them, that they were called themselves to live as sacrifices. This different paradigm um, would have nonetheless, this is what Paul is doing. He's calling upon language that they were all very familiar with. And he, and he puts before them what I would consider to be a very significant challenge. All right, so I'm going to read it again. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. These next words are very important for what I'm about to say. Holy and acceptable to God act of worship. 
which is your spiritual worship, to present your bodies holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he goes, I'm going to say, do not be conformed to this world here in a moment. That's really going to be the subject of next week's sermon. So what Paul is getting at here is he's telling the Christians in Rome that God actually desires for them to live their lives Save their lives sacrificially. Now, the reason that this is so important is because I'm going to now really focus on the, on the worship practices of the Jew only, not the Gentiles. The reason that this is so important is because we know that if you've read anything before the book of Madison, you read the Old Testament, you have elements of worship, right? You understand, and we even talked about it in our last sermon series whenever we talked about the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. We talked about the significance of the temple, right? The temple was the place where God's people presence dwelled, was Placed in a temple is because God's glory was so weighty, so powerful that we cannot, we could not just casually enter into God's presence with what? God's presence? Death. Okay? Why? So we were like, that seems intense. Try and get close to the sun and see what happens to you, right? You try and get close to the sun. You drop dead. And the sun burns at a temperature that I didn't put in my notes, but it burns at a temperature that is so high or so hot that we, if, even if the earth were any closer, that we would all burn up and melt and scorch on the earth. If you think the God who creates the sun by just speaking it out of billions of stars that are in our galaxy, if you think that you could just casually scroll, stroll into his presence and not be consumed by it, then you have another thing coming to you, right? In which there was God's temple dwelled, his manifest presence dwelled. And you could not just casually roll into God's presence, right? Like we come into church on Sundays and we understand that the presence of God is at work among us. A bunch of people out there often, and I'm not, I'm not not of my cup of coffee in church too, but you could not just like roll into God's presence after just kind of coming, coming, uh, getting out of your car, rolling out of the parking lot with your cup of coffee in your hand and your hand in your pocket and be like, I'm here to work. Not happen. Right? You would be consumed and you would just drop dead. That's what would happen if you tried to enter into God's presence that way. Right? So there had to be a temple, a place where God's presence dwelt, but there also had to be a mediator. There had to be a priest and this priest and things like that to prepare himself to enter into the presence of God, to offer up the sacrifices that God's people had, had put on the altar for him to accept. And so there were all of these practices that the Jews had to observe. And if, you, if you've read the Old to the life of God's people. And the concept of sacrifice was extremely important whenever it came to worship. Because you can read, and, and I'm not going to list them all out just because I'm going, to, I'm going to try and be as conscious of time today as I can. You can read in the Old Testament and you can see the litany of sacrifices and offerings that God's people were called. First fruits, um, all different, and not just, there, the litany is, is, is extreme. The kinds of sacrifices that God's people were were called to offer up at different seasons and different times and different festivals for different seasons or sacrifices God's people. And one of the things that we see, not one of the things, two of the things that we see that are central and common amongst all of the sacrifices that God required from his people is that he asked for their first and he asked for the general principle at work here, but God asked for their first and he asked for their best. God expected whenever he called for a sacrifice, if he called for an animal sacrifice, if he called for, or if he called from an offering from any of the, the fruit of their labor or whatever it was, no matter what it was that God called for, God would call for the first and he would call for the best. Why? It's because that which you sacrifice for signals, I'm going to say that again, that which you sacrifice for 
signals to the rest of the world around you that which you love, that which you are willing to offer up, that which you are willing to part says with self, the, the depth of your love. And so God would constantly challenge his people by offering or asking, not asking, requiring of them the first and the best of everything. People over and over and over again, are you going to love me with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And so for God, it was, it was a litmus test to put before his people do to love me. Are you going to follow me though in the way in which I have commanded you to follow me? Are you going to pursue me in the way in which I have called you to pursue me? If so, then it should not be an issue for you to give, you, to give me your best and your first. To give God our best and our first, what that is signaling to him and to the world is that God is not actually the best and first in our lives. So this is common in the life of God's people. In the Old Testament, he required the best, this over the first from everything. And he wanted that to be a symbol, not only of their devotion to God before him, but he wanted that to be a symbol of their devotion to God before a watching world. Connected, he wanted their, in their heart was not connected to the practice. God often rebuked them, right? Isaiah chapter one, God actually says, I'm sick of your sacrifices. I'm sick of your new moons. I'm sick of your festivals. I'm sick of your sick of severe. Why? Handed them to do. It's whenever you drill, drill down into it, it's because he essentially says, it's because your heart's not in it. You're doing all the right things, but you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. You've gotten to this place, now you're willing to offer up doing it out of a desire to worship and glorify me. You're no longer doing it because you love me. You're doing it just because I've asked you to, and you're doing it because you're afraid that if you don't, that you're going to experience judgment. But so God, but he offered not this call to awesome to do it with desire. And the children of Israel, which is the same pit that we fall into, whenever it comes to what we offer up to God, they would, they would call, I think, on, on they would do it, but there would not be the desire in it. Or they just wouldn't do it because the desire wasn't in it. Right? We've talked about this a lot for the past few weeks. On like the legalistic, more moralistic side of things, we do all of the right things, but we do it with our heart actually being far from God. We do it with our hearts being disengaged. Or we take the authentic Christian, don't which is we just don't, we're afraid of being legalist, Right? So there we just kind of relax God's commandments and we're like, you know what? What God really wants is he just wants me to be happy, right? And uh, I'm only going to obey him whenever it makes me happy to do that. So they're, they're over here, you've got, kind of, you've got more licentious approach to Christianity. And the children of Israel fell into the same snares. Whenever they stopped desiring to worship God by offering up their first and their best, sometimes they just wouldn't do it. And I'm actually going to take you to a portion of scripture that should be, consider the nature of who God is. Um, and, and how he revealed himself to his people in that time, it should be a sobering uh, call for us all when, when considering what we should live our lives as a living sacrifice. It should be sobering to us whenever we read this next portion of Scripture because you're going to see how seriously God takes this concept of sacrifice. So if you would, you can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Malachi. This, um, these are not coffee cup verses that we're about to read. I'm just going to let you know that, okay? You're not going to walk into Lifeway and see these verses on a banner that you're going to hang over your fireplace mantle. Um, nonetheless, we believe scripture. We should also the word of God. One of those that we might typically tend to avoid, though. But this is God's word to His people. Whenever they started offering up, remember Romans twelve, holy and acceptable. Holy and acceptable. You should be a living sacrifice, a holy acceptable. All right. This is what happens whenever God's people offer up sacrifices that are neither holy 
nor acceptable in his sight. This is how he, the old covenant, or how he. Chapter 1, verse 6, it reads this. It says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord, my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? God, God's response. By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted despised? By saying that the you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those who are of lame or, or those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us? With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. Exclamation point. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun, notice God's concerned about the glory of his name here. 11, for, the, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations. Say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, check this out, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts, or is lame or sick. And this you bring at your offering, as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it. And for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Now it goes on, but we're going to stop there. Here's what's happened. Of trying to trick God. Being called to offer up what is first and what is best and having very specific commandments and ordinances that God had given them for what offerings were acceptable and what God acceptable, the priest started. So rather than offering up an animal that was like, you know, a purebred, um, very uh, like, a, 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 I don't know, I'm not, I'm not good with, uh, what do you call it, agricultural language. Um, but rather than offer like your, your purest and best offer up an animal that had um, like he said, had been taken to violence. Maybe an animal that had been attacked by a bear or something like that. A, a, a bull that had been attacked by an animal. And then they would go and they would take it and be like, well, it's already dead, so let's... And God says, how are you going to, to pollute my table that way? But what I find interesting is God actually kind of mocks, they say that it's a burden to them. They say, oh, what a weariness this is. Oh, it's so burdensome to have to offer up our best and our first to you, God. I think to which God reminds us today. God reminds them, is my glory and my namesake not far greater than your livestock? Is my glory and my namesake not far greater than your own life? Not far greater than is my glory less all that you have in everything that is on the earth, right? Remember, all the earth is mine and the fullness therein. Is there not a thing on this planet or is there a thing on this planet that is not worthy of being offered up to me? This is, see, here's what happened. They forgot their place. They forgot their place. They reversed the order of things. They started to see God as being in theirs, his service. I'm going to preach this morning. You guys are quiet for the nine, all right? You're typically louder than this, but I noticed my hoopers and hollers aren't here today. So God says, forgotten your order. I call for your first. I call for your best. You respond. That's how this works. 
You respond to me in obedience because I am God and everything that you give to me to give me your first and best if I ask for your first and best. There is no negotiating here. We're not doing one of these things where you hold your cards on your side of the table. I hold mine on my side of the table. When I first ask for the first and your best, you, this is what God is saying. Why? Because my name will be great among the nations. And he knows, listen to me, he knows that if he has a people that are unwilling to offer his meant to represent him in their best world, what does that say of the glory of God if the people that are called by his name do not worship him in fullness? It makes a mockery of him. So God, I will not be made fun of. I will not be made little. I will not be made small in your life. When I ask for what I ask for, you deliver it to me. Anything else is unacceptable. Why? Why would he do that, though? Because, like I said, that which we offer up in sacrifice signals that which we love. It signals to the world around us that which we love. I expect your best. I expect your first. I expect what I have commanded you to do. I expect you to do it. And to not do it is disobedience. And to not do it. Now, if I offer up an unreal reading, keep reading Malachi. Keep reading Malachi chapter 2, because essentially what God says, if you don't do it, then you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the dung from the animals that you sacrifice. And I'm... Whoa, why? God says, you're not going to make a mockery of me. I'm going to make a mockery of you. That's how this is going to work. Take that calling his people to, to lay before him acceptable sacrifices because sacrifices were central in worship. Worship and the practices of worship and the practices of offering up sacrifice, they served a variety of different purposes. I won't, again, I won't go into all of them. We don't have time for it. But so when God calls, or Paul, God calls through Paul, the living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God, and that is their spiritual act of worship, what does that mean? It that God's, God is your entire life. And I want you to offer it from this perspective of I am offering God my first, and I am offering God my best. How often? Without ceasing. Why? Because you see, I said this in the beginning, um, God has actually created us as, as creatures of worship, creatures of desire. We ourselves out to something, right? The heart is not neutral in anything. The heart is always directed and aimed at something. Our desires are always pointed at something. It's like it's constantly looking to orient itself towards something, something that we desire, that something can be a career. That something can be what the career provides for us, the money, the mammon, whatever it might be. Something can be a goal. That something can be an experience. That something can be whatever. That something can be an idol of comfort or acceptance or approval or something like that, something deeply psychological inside of us. But nonetheless, something our heart is constantly oriented desire. We are creatures of worship. We are constantly pouring ourselves out for that which we love. And that is the very definition of worship. And so God, knowing that we are, to use theologian Harold Best language, 
God that created us as unsures of desire where we're always pouring ourselves out. We're always offering ourselves up. We're always living our lives in the pursuit of something great. God wants to make sure that Christians understand that although, listen to me, that although there is no longer a high priest that is offering up sacrifices down here on the earth, our high priest is now in heaven. Although there is no more need for animal sacrifices, God wants to make the expectation is still the same. That we live our lives as unceasing worshipers before the Lord. And the language that he uses is very intense language as a sacrifice. He says you actually need to You need to live, let me put it another way. You need to live as a dead animal. The only purpose of a dead animal on an altar under the God is to be. The only purpose for a person that has been saved and redeemed and bought by the blood of Christ and has been brought from spiritual death into spiritual life to now live alive in Christ, you're to be dead to this world, right? You are to live as a dead animal in the midst of this world. Dead to the world, the world, alive in Christ. Are you with me? This is what God is putting before us in his word, that when we are living sacrifices, of course we're alive to God in Christ. Of course we're the fellowship, the filled with the life of the spirit. As far as the world is concerned, and the purpose on that altar is to signal to, that, to the world in which we are in that we belong to God, and our life is the Lord's, it's not ours. So, worship God in our everyday lives then. I want to make this abundantly clear, and I think I've already been going there. We aren't called to make sacrifices, we're called to be sacrifices. And when we're called to be sacrifices, there's something that, that we have to keep in mind here. When we think following Jesus is about making sacrifices, we find ourselves in what we should sacrifice, how much we should sacrifice, how often we should sacrifice, when we should sacrifice. See, when you think that your life is just about making sacrifices, you can find things. Where you're, listen to me, where you're actually weighing out your options. Let's see, uh, I know that God's word says to do this, but I'm kind of in a peculiar season of life, right? Sacrifice like this much, you know, I can, I, I can, I can, I've got a little bit of margin over here. <laughs> so I, I can, I can knock off some sacrifice over there, which by definition, just so you know, is not sacrifice. If it comes out of the margin, it's not sacrifice. Sacrifice is only that. Here's a little bit of margin over here. Let me just cut that off and give that to the Lord. When we think that we're called to just make sacrifices, we find ourselves in scenarios where we're considering when and how much and how following Jesus is sacrifice. But when we are a living sacrifice, there are no scenarios where the concept of sacrifice is up for consideration. There are no scenarios where we're even alive. Consider it. Because you're everything that you do is in offering to the Lord. Everything that you do is pouring yourself out to God. Everything that you do is putting your worth into and deriving your worth from the Lord of the universe. And so there is no scenario. The only scenario in which you live in is I am the sacrifice. I am an offering to God. My life is not mine. Acts chapter 20, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price like this is not, or you're the blood bought by the blood of Jesus. We don't belong to ourselves. Now we live in this strange paradigm in our culture where we where we live in more of a like a cultural biblical show and Christian understands why we, we oftentimes get away with so much nominalism in the church. 
And we get away with so much disobedience in the church. And we get away with so much lukewarmness in the church. We're willing to pacify those things as pastors because we're just happy that providence, we want to be the kind of church where we actually call our people to do what the Bible says to do. Which means we're going to be striving to be this deeply sacrificial church. We want this concept of everything that we do in every aspect of our lives. Where we are just, that's what we do because that's who we are. We make sacrifices because we are sacrifices. Christians by nature are the most sacrificial people on the planet. And where do we get this concept from? Well, we're talking about discipleship in this series. And the one that we are following as disciples sacrifice, was he not? Jesus was the prototypical living sacrifice who lived a life in perfect obedience, without spot, without blemish, not a single thing wrong with him. He was God's first, he was God's best. As a matter of fact, he was God's only, and he came and he lived as a and he died as a sacrifice for what? For the propitiation of our sins, for our sins. So if the goal of discipleship is to know, obey, and love like him, Jesus, so that, we, that our lives as Christians are going to become increasingly sacrificial. If we're going to become more like Jesus, and Jesus himself was the great and, and, and high to the presence of but not also the one who made sacrifice for our sins on our behalf. If we're going to become increasingly like Christ, then we have to assume those roles more increasingly. Now, again, I really go into the, to the theology of all of those aspects of worship, how Christ became the temple, how Christ became the priest, how Christ became the sacrifice, and now because we are in Christ, we are God's temple where the Spirit dwells. We are, we are called to be living sacrifices. All the things that Christ was, the church is living out the implications of those things. The reality. This is my third and final point I'm closing. If we're honest, this is impossible to do. <laughs> it is impossible to live sin reigns in our mortal bodies. It is impossible. There's no way that we can live perfectly. So we're going to fail. We're going to fall. We're going to struggle. We're going to make a mess of things. We're going to, at times, reject our identity as living sacrifices and we're going to live other things instead of God and his glory. And what happens whenever we fail? Where do we turn? And here's the good news is in every other world religion you still have temples, you still have priests, you still have sacrifices. You still have requirements that they need in order to be accepted before them. Christianity is the complete opposite of that. Christianity says that our God became the temple, he became the priest, and he became the sacrifice so that we could be accepted. So in so much as the Bible is actually calling us to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is the spirit of grace, there should be understanding that although the Bible is not lax in its commands, I want to make it abundantly clear, God did not... God did not, in any way, shape, or form, whenever Jesus came and stepped on the scene, all right? 
In the Old Testament, we see the law, we see all of its demands. We're like, whoa, that's so intense. You know whenever Jesus came, he actually intensified the law, not loosened it, right? Because Jesus made the law not just a matter of eternal obedience, right? It's, it's no longer good enough to just not commit adultery. You can't even think about it in your heart or else you're already doing it. Jesus in no way, shape, or form loosened the law, relaxed the law, or lightened the load of the law. If it had packed down the requirements of the law, even more so. Because he said, I want you to truly love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I want you to truly love your neighbors yourself. And that's going to be kind of by a life that represents. And I want your heart to be connected with your mind. And I want your mind to be connected with your hands. And I want all of it to be done to my glory. And so I want to make it abundantly clear. Jesus did not in any way, shape, or form make it easier to be a Christian. Take up your cross to remember one of you, right? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus did not make it any easier to be a Christian. Here's what he did do, though. He engineered this in such a way that you're no longer So you're no longer working from this place of, if I don't do this, God will judge me. You're working from this place of, Christ, I want to do this. Because my God came down and offered himself as a sacrifice for me, I want to live as a sacrifice for him. Are you getting what's going on here? God actually came down in a human and wrapped himself in flesh and did all of the things that we could not do. That was meant to fill our hearts with passion and desire for a God who would do such a thing. God, in the old covenant majesty and all of his might and all of his power, and they're saying, yes, God, I will obey because you are Lord and you are king and you are worthy. And now we have, in the new covenant, we have a picture that not only is God a great king, but in all this a merciful heart. And he came and he washed the disciples' feet and he, and he died for us and he's done all of these incredible things that you would not think that the God who spun the universe into existence would ever do. For and so I want us to see, brothers and sisters, that yes, God is calling us to live as sacrifices. God is calling us to live in such a way that is holy, that is acceptable. He's calling for our hopefully is something that you should desire to do, not something that you feel like you're obligated to do. Not something that you see as a yoke or a burden, but some of the children of Israel said, you don't see it as a weariness. You see it as a reflection. And essentially, just in Christ. How could we not offer up our lives as sacrifices to the God who has so freely and so willingly offered himself up for us. I want to take a moment now and, 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 and transition. This is a great, a great moment um, to talk um, just honestly about why the sacrament is, is so important to the church. It's because <laughs> we, being those who are every week, on display in physical form, the sacrifice of Christ before us. We see the broken body, or we see the bread that was or the signified of, of, of the body of Christ that was offered up to us, that we see the cup, take the bread, and we dip it in the cup, and we ingest it into our body. We were remembering what was offered to us. We were remembering the sacrifice that was offered up for us, that our freedom in Christ actually came, was the cost of Christ's own body and Christ's own blood for us. So every week when we come down to this table and we receive from communion, that hope is this is a remembrance for us, brings to mind 
celebration. It brings to mind thanksgiving, and it brings to mind it's a rehearsal in the things that God has done for us. And it strengthens us and nourishes us so that whenever we walk out of this room, we... And so if you're a Christian here, um, of course, this, this sacrament is offered for you. Um, and we're gonna, in a moment, I'm going to pray you to come forward and to receive, receive communion. You want to receive prayer. We're going to have uh, some men and women stationed at the sides of the sanctuary over here, and they'll, they'll pray for you if you want to take this time. And you know what? Maybe something in the sermon. Um, can pray for you this morning before you leave, then please know that we're going to have people over there praying for you. If you're not a Christian, then we ask that you, you would refrain from this time and, and simply just reflect on what's been said. And we, uh, we do this, um, necessarily the sacrament is something that is for the church. It's for those that have put faith in Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Bible actually says when you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death. And so if you're not a Christian and you come and partake in communion, you're essentially proclaiming something that you don't yet believe in. To take this time and to use this as a time of reflection, um, if there's something in the sermon that you believe has like, convicted you and, and you want to, to consider uh, putting your faith in Christ, then we're going to have a prayer of belief on this prayer means that you can look over. Um, so be so bold as to go and have some people pray with you, and then we'd love to pray with you and talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. If you guys could please stand. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul recalls him sitting at the table with his disciples, and the scriptures say that whenever Jesus was sitting at the table with his disciples, he took a bread and he, he held it up to them and he told his disciples this body that is given for you. It says in the same way he took the cup and he held it up to them and he told his disciples, he said, this is the cup, this is the blood of the new covenant. This signifies my blood that has been spilled for you. And he tells his disciples, as often as you eat of this bread, may drink from this cup. You and he says, you also do this. And when you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so the reason that we do this every week at Providence is because we want to regularly remember, be reminded of and be nourished by the truth that Jesus is can come forward and receive communion. Oh, I, wanted, I do want to say, if you need a gluten-free option, we have gluten-free bread right here at the Center, Center Communion Station. So thank you. Let me pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity that during this time of communion, Lord, that we would reflect soberly but joyfully upon that which you have given for us, which is the life of your own Son, God. You sent him to die in our place, God. And Lord, although we don't deserve it, and it's certainly nothing that we could earn, it's by your grace, Lord. Remember the sacrifice of Christ this morning with gratitude and joy in our hearts. And God, that we would ourselves seek to live as living sacrifices in response to the sacrifice. Amen. You guys can come forward now.